Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. Just to make you aware before we start, this week's episode does contain strong language and some graphic description of violence. We'll get started right after this. Today's episode is presented by Equinor. Should offshore wind be measured in knots or watts? At Equinor, we measure it in gigawatts. When complete, Dogger Bank Wind Farm could produce 3.6 gigawatts of electricity. Visit equinor.co.uk. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. We are finally bringing forward a solution, said Boris Johnson in July 2021, as he addressed the House of Commons at Prime Minister's Questions. A solution to enable the province of... Look, never mind. Here he is. A solution to this problem, to enable the province of Northern Ireland to draw a line under the troubles, to enable the people of Northern Ireland to move forward. And I think someone... On the 14th of July last year, I was sitting in the press gallery of a nearly empty House of Commons. PMQs was over and the day's ministerial announcements were underway. It was hot, it was a few days before the long summer recess and it kind of looked like at least one of the scattering of MPs present was close to falling asleep. Brandon Lewis, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, was on his feet, announcing one of the biggest decisions taken about my homeland in a generation. It is in reality a painful recognition of the very reality of where we are. I had this strange feeling that I was watching history unfold while most people didn't notice anything happening at all. Lewis announced plans for a statute of limitations on crimes committed as part of the Troubles the violent conflict that began in Northern Ireland in the late 1960s until peace was finally brokered in 1998. The plans meant notorious killers and torturers would be protected from prosecution and the long-suffering families of victims would see their route to criminal justice closed forever. The Secretary of State said the chance of successful prosecutions was now vanishingly small. It is clear that the current system for dealing with the legacy of the Troubles is not working. It is now a difficult, in fact a painful truth, that the focus on criminal investigations is increasingly unlikely to deliver successful criminal justice outcomes. But all the while, it continues to divide communities and it fails to obtain answers for a majority of victims and families. The emotion in the room was palpable. In October 1990, Patsy Gillespie was abducted from his home by the IRA. His family were told he would be back soon, uh, whilst being held at gunpoint. Patsy was then chained to the driver's seat uh, of a van filled with explosives and forced at gunpoint to drive that van to a nearby army base. The IRA then 
remotely detonated that bomb, killing Patsy and five soldiers. Will the Secretary of State come with me and explain to his widow, Kathleen, why he wants to protect his killers from prosecution and even investigation? That was Colm Eastwood, leader of the Nationalist Social Democratic and Labour Party in Northern Ireland and the MP for Foyle. Lewis's response was not sympathetic. I appreciate the Honourable Gentleman um, tends to, in this House, as we saw yesterday, use um, emotive comments for sound bites, often for his own social media outlet. A colleague beside me in the press gallery flinched at that point. To use somebody's um, harrowing experience and loss in that way, I think says much about him. I would happily meet with any victim to talk to them about uh, the experience they've been through and why we need to be honest with them about what is achievable and how we help Northern Ireland move forward in a positive way. Rather, than I counted the number of people present who were actually from Northern Ireland. Just four MPs down in the chamber in person and me. It was still a time of COVID restrictions, meaning no members of the public could be there to watch. I felt the privilege and the responsibility of being there to witness this in person. I left and knew I wanted to cover this story properly. I wanted to go home to Northern Ireland and meet the people affected. As the backlash against these proposals grew and grew, I wanted to explain the journey that had brought us to this point, first in Northern Ireland and then in Westminster. It was the start of a tumultuous, year-long journey for so many victims outraged and hurt at what was being proposed. It would prove a tumultuous journey too for the politicians, culminating last week in new proposals from Brandon Lewis, which made immunity from prosecution conditional on cooperation with an information body. And in a way, it's been quite a journey for me too, crisscrossing back and forth across the Irish Sea as I tried to understand how we'd got here. From Politico, I'm Alva Ray. And this week on Westminster Insider, I'm taking you back home to Northern Ireland to tell you a story. It's a story that spans the back streets of Derry, the stalemate of Stormont and the corridors and tea rooms of Westminster. This is a story of Northern Ireland itself since the peace was brokered and its dysfunctional politics in the wake of decades of terror. But it's also a story about Boris Johnson and his promises. It's about campaigning Conservative MPs and the British tabloid press and ex-soldiers in their old age, dragged from their beds in the middle of the night. Above all, it's the story of thousands of people from all sides of the conflict who lost someone in the most painful way during the Troubles. And so we begin, hundreds of miles away from Westminster, in Derry, in the living room of Kathleen Gillespie. I always say that they've done the worst that they can to my family. They broke up the family, they murdered Patsy. There wasn't much else they could do. Kathleen Gillespie still lives in the same house in Derry where she and her children were held hostage at gunpoint by the IRA. She is sitting opposite me in the same corner of the same living room where, on that night in October 1990, She sat with her arms around her young daughter as her husband, Patsy, kissed them goodbye under the watch of IRA gunmen. Patsy and Kathleen were arriving home from an evening with a friend. We came home and the house was in darkness. 
And as he was parking the car, I came out and opened the door, discovered that there was a key, a single key sticking in the door. And as I stepped in the door, somebody came running up the hall and stuck something in my neck. It was an IRA man with a gun. Inside the house, Kathleen's daughter Jennifer was held by another masked IRA man in their living room. I could hear her crying and there was a man standing beside her with a gun in his hand. They took Patsy away, leaving Kathleen and Jennifer under the watch of IRA gunmen. About 12 o'clock, they took him away. But they let him come into the room and say goodbye to me and Jennifer. I said, everything will be all right, dear, I'll be home soon. The family were held hostage for hours. I questioned them constantly and they said they were waiting for a phone call. And as soon as they got the phone call, that they'd be away. If you do what you're told, nobody will get hurt and your husband will be home. But Patsy never came home. The IRA had chained him to the steering wheel of a van full of explosives, forcing him to drive into a nearby army base. He was literally chained to the foot pedals and the steering wheel. And um, I have evidence from the soldiers who survived the bomb that he shouted a warning. Run like fuck boys, I'm loaded. It was 1,200 pounds of explosives. But he saved lives. Which I'm very proud of. The IRA remotely detonated the bomb, blowing up Patsy and five soldiers and badly injuring 27 more. Patsy Gillespie's murder reverberated around the world, proof that the violence in Northern Ireland could still inspire fresh horror decades into the conflict. I got a lot of mail from all over the world. There was one addressed to the woman in Ireland whose husband was murdered by the IRA, and the letter came straight to me. I got a letter from somewhere in America from an old lady, and there was $10 in it. And she said, um, this is all I've got, my last $10, and I'm sorry, I have no more to send you. Patsy Gillespie was one of 3,532 people killed in the Troubles. Kathleen has never had justice for Patsy's murder. Some arrests were made on the night, but no one was ever charged. There has been no investigation since, no review of the evidence, no prosecutions and no convictions. And when Brandon Lewis stood up that day announcing an effective amnesty, she was heartbroken to learn that there never would be. The government had a mind made up. It didn't matter how many people like me stood up and said, you have to bring these people to justice, you can't do this. It didn't matter how many people stood up and did that. Their mind was made up. Mm. It was happening. There were thousands of people like Kathleen dotted across these islands who heard Brandon Lewis announce on TV from the House of Commons that he planned to protect their loved ones' killers from prosecution. The plans rocked Northern Ireland, where the amnesty, a phrase the UK government doesn't much like, was bitterly rejected by every victims group and every political party. Just put it on record, the DUP do not support an amnesty for terrorist killers at all. This is an insult to victims and their families. It's an act of absolute bad faith on the part of the British government. I cannot believe that the path to reconciliation is made easier when we sacrifice justice. These shameful proposals are an insult to all victims and indeed to many veterans who served honourably. They don't draw a line, but rather they cross the line 
on justice and the rule of law. Divided on so much, the parties were for once in total agreement that it was wrong to close the criminal justice route to victims. Stormont unanimously rejected the proposals in a symbolic vote in an emergency recall. A survey by the largest victims' organisation indicated that 70% of people in Northern Ireland were against the plan. But Kathleen has another reason to be frustrated about the lack of justice or accountability for Patsy's murder. There are persistent rumours and unconfirmed snippets of evidence that the British state might have known about the planned murder but failed to act to protect its intelligence assets inside the IRA. I wouldn't have felt quite as strongly, I think, about this now if it hadn't been for the evidence of collusion. How can they justify risking all those lives? They didn't care. Plus they were risking the lives of the men who they employed, the army. It was indiscriminate. Collusion and the wider conduct of the British state during the Troubles is the most contentious issue at the heart of dealing with Northern Ireland's past. And it's the axis on which this debate fundamentally turns. The word collusion means different things to different people, spanning an array of alleged actions and omissions by the British security forces during numerous paramilitary killings. Allegations range from the knowing protection of killers, willful or otherwise, right through to agents of the British state being actively involved in murder. What is certain is that the British Army, MI5 and RUC all ran agents and informers inside paramilitary groups. This saves and saved lives, the British state would undoubtedly argue, but it also poses a practical challenge to exposing the truth of what really happened decades later. It also drives to the heart of the political divide in Northern Ireland, where the conflict ultimately originated due to a profound difference in attitudes towards the British state. Unionists feel that the focus on the actions of the state are an attempt to rewrite history by those who are ashamed that the majority of Troubles killings were, in fact, conducted by Irish Republicans. Nationalists worry that proposals from the British government will amount to a cover-up of the truth of the British state's actions. We stuck by the law for 20-odd years now, and for the law to turn around and go, there's an honesty for the killers. What was all that fight for? What was all that going down the justice route for? Gareth McCord has known terror from loyalist paramilitaries since he was a young boy. His father, Raymond McCord Sr., was an outspoken critic of the local Ulster Defence Association, or the UDA. Their home came under frequent attack, and his father was a target for murder. In their late teens, Gareth's brother, Raymond Jr., began to associate with the Ulster Volunteer Force, or the UVF a rival loyalist paramilitary organisation, thinking it would protect him and his family from the UDA. He was beaten to death one night in November 1997 and his body dumped in a quarry. He was used by him and he thought that by doing things for him that it would give our family protection. They tried to shoot him, but the gun jammed. So uh, they beat him to death. The police, the RUC colluded in Raymond McCord Jr.'s murder and 10 others by the Mount Vernon UVF. That's what Nulo Lone, a human rights lawyer and now a cross-party peer in the House of Lords, 
concluded in her investigation as police ombudsman in 2007, following a long campaign by Raymond's father. Police officers with the special branch of the RUC have protected Raymond's killers from accountability before the law because they were informants, she found. They faked, doctored and destroyed evidence and blocked searches of suspects' homes and the man who ordered Raymond's murder received almost £80,000 from the British state for his work as an informer. He and his associates have still never faced justice for the crimes they committed. I was walking in the toilet and this person was walking out of it. And it was him. I didn't know what to do. So I walked over, I followed him, and I stood behind him just this side, literally two feet away, three feet away from him, and I stood and stared at him. But I had no emotion. I wasn't angry. I wasn't sad. I, I, I was like an out-of-body experience. That's one way I could describe it, as if this isn't real. It was like a dream. Mm. And I wanted him to turn around. I wanted him to trigger what are you looking at or whatever then I would have went. But uh, I ended up walking away. Without full investigations into every case, of course, victims and Northern Irish society more broadly will never know the full extent or otherwise of British state collusion in the worst atrocities of the Troubles. And as a result, there can be no settled narrative of what really took place in that conflict. In a very real sense, the struggle over historic allegations is a struggle over different versions of Northern Ireland's history. And it's a struggle which dates directly back to one of the most celebrated moments in post-war British history, April 1998 and the Good Friday Agreement. Stay with us. A message from Equinor. Back to that question. Should offshore wind be measured in knots or watts? At Equinor, we measure it in gigawatts. When complete, Dogger Bank will be the world's largest offshore wind farm. It could provide the UK with 3.6 gigawatts of electricity, enough to power 5 million homes. See how we're accelerating the UK energy transition at equinor.co.uk. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A message from Lloyds Banking Group. Lloyds Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. Yes, 71.12%. 
On the 10th of April, 1998, after decades of terror, the Good Friday Agreement ushered in a new era of peace in Northern Ireland. Every previous attempt had failed, and when Tony Blair turned up to try to broker a new deal, it seemed likely he would fail too. I feel the hand of history upon our shoulder in respect of this. I really do. As a three-year-old child growing up in a war-torn part of the British Isles, the agreement that group of politicians reached on Good Friday 1998 would change my life and the life of everyone of my generation. It genuinely felt like a miracle, but it was far from an easy compromise. Somehow using his political momentum from his landslide in 97, Tony managed to get it over the line, but it was literally a miracle. Jonathan Pyle, Tony Blair's chief negotiator with the IRA, remembers the moment in the early hours of Good Friday 1998 when it struck them that the peace agreement they were negotiating with Sinn Féin leader Gerry Adams would involve the early release of murderers from prison. This was all happening very, very fast. Adams came to see us late on, demanding uh, actually that they reduce what was in the text of the agreement of two years, that people would be released after two years, regardless of what crimes they committed. We were sort of taken aback and thought, oh my God, were you really going to actually release people who've done these terrible things? It was not something that people had put on our agenda in the negotiation. But we were told there would be no agreement without it, and so we went ahead. Prisoners from the IRA and other Republican and Loyalist paramilitary groups were granted early release. And to this day, anyone convicted of a troubles-related offence will only serve two years in prison. The defenders of Boris Johnson and Brandon Lewis's plans argue that a conditional amnesty for all Troubles-era offenders is the logical conclusion of the journey that began that night. And Jonathan Pyle unexpectedly agrees, describing the two-year release system as a sort of amnesty in itself. Murder, in the context of the Troubles, has been viewed differently in law since that decision in the wee hours of the morning on Good Friday 1998. Jonathan Pyle says this is a fundamental problem with peace negotiations on which he has now worked all over the world. So you have to find some balance between the victims of the past and the victims of the future. That If you carry on with the conflict, more and more people are going to die. There is always this tension now between addressing the issue of victims and getting to peace. You can't be purist on one side or the other. The Good Friday Agreement was an historic, life-changing compromise, but it left the question of justice and accountability unresolved. If I'd known now how, how important it is to try and settle this issue, I would have thought more, much more about trying to get it into the Good Friday Agreement itself in that way as truth and reconciliation rather than just the two-year thing. But would it have come at a cost? You also wanted to think, by introducing this, am I making it harder to get to an agreement? Good Friday could easily have been another failed agreement and we could still be wrangling with these issues now. Justice for victims was a gaping hole at the heart of the Good Friday Agreement. And politicians in fragile, post-conflict Northern Ireland have never managed to fill that hole in the 24 years since. Instead, a sort of patchwork system of different bodies has developed over time. But it's a system that almost everyone, from victims to the political parties in Northern Ireland to the British government, agrees is failing. After eight years of inaction and disagreement among Stormont politicians about the best way forward following the 1998 peace deal, the police in 2006 set up a historical inquiries team 
to re-examine the 3,269 unsolved killings of the Troubles. But shockingly, a policing watchdog found in 2013 that the HET hadn't been examining killings equally, treating cases involving the police and British Army with more lenience than those involving the IRA and other paramilitary groups, in breach of human rights law. It was closed in 2014, with more than a 1,000 cases outstanding, and replaced by the Legacy Investigations Branch within the police service, a small, slow, under-resourced stopgap until something better could be agreed and implemented by the politicians. But to this day, nothing better has been implemented. For all the parties express their horror at Brandon Lewis's plans, their own revealed preference over 24 years has been to do nothing, resulting in a system so slow and patchy as to be an effective amnesty at random. The politics of post-conflict Northern Ireland has been tragically unable to deliver on the final stage of the peace process for victims. But the LIB has stoked controversy for reasons beyond its difficulty in delivering for victims. And this is where you really need to pay attention. The LIB inherited a total caseload of over 1,200 deaths, not just the cases that the HET hadn't addressed before, but cases linked to the British security forces, which needed to be re-investigated after the HET's unbalanced approach was found in breach of human rights law. And as the police in the LIB began re-investigating soldiers, Conservative MPs in Westminster began to take notice. Dennis Hutchings was 75 years old and suffering from chronic kidney disease when he was woken from his bed in Cornwall by the police in a dawn raid on the 21st of April 2015. His house was searched in front of his partner and her family. He was driven to Bristol Airport and flown to Belfast, where he was held for four days in a prison cell and interrogated. He was charged with attempted murder for an incident that took place while he was a British soldier on patrol in County Tyrone, Northern Ireland, more than 40 years earlier, on the 15th of June, 1974. Conservative backbench MPs, many of them ex-military, were furious. This was a grandfather and hero ex-soldier, as the son described him, dragged from his bed and treated like a criminal in his frail old age after serving his country decades before. It was immediately understood as an extension of the witch hunt of former members of the armed forces for alleged crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan, a long-standing cause of fury in the right-wing press. People in government remember the Hutchings arrest as the moment when conservative backbenchers were galvanised by this issue. Led by Marc François, a former veterans minister and MP from the conservative right, and Ian Duncan Smith, the former party leader, they began a long campaign against vexatious prosecutions of soldiers who served during the Troubles. Legacy was suddenly on the agenda in Westminster, and not just in Northern Ireland. I have a question to the Prime Minister from a Northern Ireland veteran. He asked me to ask you this. I served my Queen and country in uniform for over 20 years and I was commended for my service in Northern Ireland. Acting under the lawful orders of my officer commanding, I killed a terrorist who was about to murder one of my comrades, and yet I'm being investigated as if I were a criminal. 
Why, Prime Minister, are you pandering to Sinn Féin IRA while throwing veterans like me to the wolves? What I want to ensure is that we do have a fair and just system. At the moment, I do not believe the the system is operating fairly. Those working on this in government felt they were engaged in a losing battle to challenge the framing set by François and the tabloid press. One government figure from the time told me it was difficult in particular to convey the scale or otherwise of the issue, that a very small number of veterans were affected, single figures, and that the allegations against the soldiers are very serious. And they lost the argument. A few months after François confronted Theresa May at PMQs, the Sun campaign to protect veterans from prosecution declared victory on its front page. May had resigned and Boris Johnson, the front-runner in the race to replace her, had hand-signed the newspaper's Veterans Pledge, complete with a photo shoot, committing to new legislation to end repeated and vexatious investigations into historical allegations against our servicemen and women, including in Northern Ireland, before the next general election. Boris Johnson had made a promise, and he would find himself under pressure to keep it. We all agreed that, you know, we'd waited long enough, and so we put together this group. And all we've been asking all the way through is for the government to keep their word. Marc François and his colleagues began to step up the pressure after the 2019 general election. Johnny Mercer, an army veteran and one of the long-standing Conservative campaigners on this issue, eventually gave up and resigned dramatically as Veterans Minister in April 2021, saying he saw no prospect of the legislation being introduced. But in July last year, they got the announcement they were waiting for. We will deliver on our commitment to veterans who served in Northern Ireland. We will provide certainty for former members of the security forces, many of whom remain fearful of the prospect of being the subject of ongoing investigations that will hang over them for years to come. But it wasn't exactly as they had hoped it would be. Protecting veterans meant an amnesty for IRA killers too, just as Theresa May and the Unionist parties in Northern Ireland had warned. The Sun described the logical endpoint of its own campaign as a shock. Johnny Mercer expressed his outrage at giving a get-out-of-jail-free card to the IRA. Over coffee in Portcullis House, he told me... The biggest benefactors of this would be the IRA. By a country mile. Over the phone from Wigan, Mo Norton sounded tired when we spoke, days after Brandon Lewis announced his original plans for an amnesty in 2021. It's OK for him to say that, but if the police knocked at his door... I don't know if he's any children, but if he told them they'd been killed, but they weren't going to do anything about it because they didn't want to upset peace, would he be able to feel OK about that? In 1974, her 23-year-old brother, Terence Griffin, was on a coach back to his barracks in Yorkshire after a weekend on leave with their family. On his coach back from a weekend full of joking and laughter, Terence and nine colleagues, as well as a woman and two children, were blown up by an IRA bomb in what is now known as the M62 bombing, one of the worst mainland IRA attacks. Mo remembers the horror unfolding on the news from 3am as she, her parents and siblings tried to work out whether it was Terence's coach. They then spotted one of his records, Billy J. Kramer's Little Children, 
in the wreckage. Mo's mother kept ringing the police throughout the day until, at tea time, they confirmed that he was dead. Mo feels that victims of the Troubles in England and elsewhere are forgotten in the discussion around the conflict and its aftermath, that it's understood only as a story about Northern Ireland and its people, who are treated as other and elsewhere. She suggested that those who campaigned for an amnesty to protect veterans overlooked the fact that she, a woman from a military family in Wigan, whose brother was killed by the IRA, will also be denied justice by the government's proposals, as will be the families of many other veterans and families of those killed in atrocities like the Birmingham pub bombings, the worst terrorist attack to occur in England between the Second World War and the 7-7 attacks in 2005. As my year-long journey neared its end, I returned to the very heart of Whitehall and was at last able to put both the victims and the Tory MP's concerns to the man at the centre of the UK government response, the Northern Ireland Secretary, Brandon Lewis. Sitting in his grand office, he set out his thinking on this most contentious of issues. If we don't deal with this, we're handing this on to yet another generation. In a way, it just doesn't seem right. The reason this has taken so long because there is so many complexities around this. For me, the statute of limitations is important because how do you move forward? The criminal justice system at the moment is failing everybody. It's failing families who want justice because cases keep collapsing or not being prosecuted. So how do you move past that? If you are a victim or the family of a victim, this is a really difficult reality. What we're really doing is we're being honest with people about what is achievable. As we've seen this year alone, We're not seeing criminal justice cases. You're not going to see justice in terms of anybody doing 10 years in prison. That's gone as of 98. There's a point at which the government needs to own the reality of where we are. As painful as that, and it is difficult, it is painful. Be honest with people about what is achievable. Finally, last week, after a year of tortured debate between all sides since the original proposals were published, detailed and updated legislation was laid before the House of Commons. My message, I would just say, to victims and survivors, many of whom have engaged with us since we published the command paper last year, is that we have listened, and carefully. We understand that no matter how small the prospects of a successful criminal justice outcome, that possibility is something they don't want to see removed entirely. And I know that despite the changes we have made, this legislation will nonetheless remain challenging for some. Gone is the plan for a blanket amnesty. Instead, under Brandon Lewis's new plans, people will be granted immunity from prosecution on condition of cooperation with a new inquiry body. But the plans will mean shutting down all the other bodies that investigate the killings of the Troubles. And after five years, the new inquiry body will close too. The reaction in Westminster was mixed. After four years and two general election manifestos, the government have finally brought forward the bill that they have been promising this House for so long. Mark Francois gave the proposed legislation a cautious welcome. There are suggestions that this reconciliation process could take five years or longer. Many of our veterans are in the autumn of their lives, many are in poor health. Some may well pass away before we get to that point. But Julian Smith, a former Northern Ireland Secretary and Conservative MP, abstained. 
Everyone has the right to an investigation. Take Kathleen Gillespie's husband, Patsy, who worked as a chef in an army base in the city of Derry. Kathleen has never had a full investigation. She's devastated that the men and women who did this to her husband will now walk free. Madam Deputy Speaker, today many victims feel that they have been hit by a double whammy with this bill. Their route to justice cut off and at the same time their route to the truth restricted. All the parties in Northern Ireland still oppose the plans, as well as the Irish government and most victims' groups. I think it's very difficult to know how many will actually come forward. Here's Sandra Peake, CEO of WAVE, a victims and survivors group in Northern Ireland. There may be people here at the end of their life or who've reflected on their life who will want to to tell what they know. There are others who simply, they've kept quiet this long, they haven't been held to account, so why would they come forward? What is in it for them to admit that? The other reality when we look at the legislation is that in five years' time it's an amnesty for everyone. And I do think that is, is very difficult and quite frightening really for the population here of what that may actually mean. Sandra is certain the bill will face legal challenge. It's the same problem that dogged the original historical inquiries team before it was investigated by the policing watchdog and shut down. You only have to look at our human rights commissioner here who said that the process was deeply flawed and not compliant with human rights legislation. Other lawyers and lawyers groups linked to the university here at Queen's University have also said that it is flawed and unworkable. The government have the majority and of course they can force it through, but it's what they do to this place and to the people here in forcing it through that I think is both cruel, unfair and whilst they proclaim that it's going to be reconciliatory, it's going to be far from that. I think it's going to feed injustice and feed feed further trauma. Johnny Mercer sees the legislation as a long overdue win for both veterans and victims. So I think veterans feel finally like they have a stake at the table. Nobody wanted anything that exonerated or amnestied veterans in any way. They just wanted it to be fair. For me, it's, it's, it's about like what is achievable and what is the best thing to do to try and get to the bottom of this and, and put it in the past. I first met Linda Malloy nearly a year ago sitting on her son's memorial bench in the cool, quiet gardens of the Wave Trauma Centre in North Belfast, less than half a mile from where her son was killed on the 10th of August, 1996. Well, John was walking home from a night out. He was only 18 years of age. He was 200 yards from his own own home when he was apprehended and stabbed several times. Um, It has just been devastating for my family and his brothers and sisters. Linda's family are an example of those who have been strung along and left in the dark for decades. There have been no arrests, no trials, no convictions for the group of loyalist youths who set out that night to kill a Catholic. When I first met Linda, she was devastated by Brandon Lewis's amnesty announcement. It's just like we're of no importance. Um... Nobody cares. Come to Northern Ireland, you got away with murder, you know. A year on, she is still hurt by the adapted proposals. With regards to my son, it, it, it really just feels now that he didn't matter. 
And this bill seems to be in favour of the perpetrators rather than the victims. You know, if this was the mainland in England, I think, you know, there would have been a lot more done. I mean, John wasn't the only one that this happened to. I'm speaking for other young people in North Belfast who were who were murdered and, and lost their lives and their families are still fighting. Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider with me, Alva Ray. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts and maybe consider leaving us a nice review. My producer this week was James Tyndale of Whistledown Productions. And here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez and my editor is Jack Blanchard. I'll be back next week. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.